Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you on this beautiful sunny day in January, huh? What a blessing, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Amen. Those of you who are watching online right now, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you're joining us as well. And if you are a guest with us, whether online or in person, my name is Daniel. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Calvary, and it really is just such a blessing to get to gather in these spaces together. These are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. And I always love to use these as times to remind us that, you know, here at Calvary, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that it is relevant for us today. And so we look to these moments as a community. We look to these moments as a group of people to come around the scriptures to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how we call to respond with our lives to the saving message of Jesus Christ. How are we called to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day? And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're a guest with us or you haven't been with us over the last week or so, we are in the midst of a series entitled The Way Forward. And this series is anchored in this text from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says these words, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not yet achieved it, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And so we're gonna spend the next number of weeks around this theme of the way forward. And we're gonna do that by examining a bunch of different moments in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church. And we're going to find key moments, uh, key scriptures that we can look to and say, you know what? There is something here for us to grab hold of. There's something here for us to, to understand, to learn about, to gravitate towards so that we can move forward into all that God has called us to be. And so if you, again, have your Bibles open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, would you please stand to your feet for the reading of the word? And we're going to begin in verse 10. The word of God would say to this, to us this morning, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This morning, we're going to work from this big idea of the way forward is wisdom. Let's take a moment and let's prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask right now that you would take this word and take it deep into our hearts. Lord God, we pray that as we engage in this time together, you would limit the distractions, Father, that all the things that are taking place in our minds right now that would lead us astray from exalting your truth this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help those to dissipate. 
May we remain focused. May we hear this word. May we begin to have it cultivate something unique in the depths of our being. And Lord, we will give you all the praise and all the glory for what it is that you are going to accomplish in these moments. We love you. In your precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Be careful. Those are two words that I oftentimes say in my home. Be careful, especially speaking to my four-year-old, to my two-year-old. If you're a guest here, I've got a four-year-old daughter, Astoria, a two-year-old son named Otto. And as a parent, I am always telling them to be careful. Whether it's carrying a, a bowl of cereal as I watch the milk go back and forth, you know, be careful. Or yesterday as I walked into the playroom and they were climbed up in the windowsill, jumping onto the couch, jumping onto the floor. I, I have this move that goes with it. It's, you know, be careful. I'm always doing this in my house. Be careful. Ultimately, I, I asked them to be careful because I don't want them to get hurt. In fact, I've actually found myself, we were at a hotel back in December with a pool, and as my kids were running, I said, be careful, don't run. And I thought, oh no, I'm that person now that tells kids not to run at the pool. But again, we say that because we, we want to protect them, don't we? We want, to, we want to keep them safe. And what we realize is that when we don't tell them to be careful, when we're not paying attention, what typically happens? They get hurt. My, my daughter this past week, my, my, my son's really into baseball right now. Uh, we, we showed him the sandlot. Now, I got to tell you, I forgot how much language is in the sandlot. <laughs> so if you see my two-year-old son today, and if he's saying words that are a little suspect, please don't judge my parenting, okay? We're, we're a work in progress too. But he's really into Sandlot. And so my, my daughter's been playing baseball with him in the living room. And this last week, she, you know, she had her little ballet costume on, her little ballet shoes, and they're playing baseball in the living room. And I'm in our bedroom and taking care of a couple things. And I hear my daughter running in the living room. And then she slides across the wood floor and she smashes her face into the wall. And it was, I mean, it was dramatic. I mean, my periff was just like, whoa, something's going on over there. And just thunk, you just, the whole thing right there. She's got this big, nice dent in her forehead if you see her today. But the thing is, like, I wish I could have been there to say, be careful. I wish I could have said, hey, sweetheart, you don't run with your ballet shoes. There's no traction. You're going to slip and you're going to fall. But all of that comes out of what? It's this parental heart of mine. Because I want to care. It's that parental heart of mine that wants to to make sure that they're being cautious, to make sure that they're being aware. And to be honest with you, when I read the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, I cannot help but hear this kind of parental heart that he has. I mean, think about his letter to the church in Galatia. He says these words to them. He says, I so desperately want Christ to be formed in you. I so desperately want you to mature into the person that God has called you. It's almost, he describes it like he has the pains of childbirth. That's how much he just, I so desperately want this for you. That's a parental heart. And all of the churches that the Apostle Paul got to be part of their, their inception, he's got this, this deep care for them. In Acts chapter 18, we read that the Apostle Paul started the church in Corinth. And he spent some time with them. He, he, he nurtured them. He, he cared for them. He showed them the way of Jesus. And then eventually he would continue on his missionary journeys. He'd go to a new city to plant a new church. And then he would leave people in charge of where he just was. You know, in, in the church in Corinth, we read of names such as Aquila and Priscilla. 
We, we read of names of uh, Apollos, these individuals who would have the leadership and have the, the opportunity to teach this young church. And the letter that we're reading this morning, 1 Corinthians, it was, it was written four years, roughly four years after Paul planted the church. And this letter is actually a response to two letters that the Apostle Paul received. One of them was just asking a bunch of questions. Hey, you, you know, you've left us now, but we've got all of these questions and he's, they're writing them and sending those to Paul. Another letter was uh, focusing more on some of the concerns that the church members were beginning to have of other church members. Most of the concerns that were being raised to Paul in this letter was about the spiritual immaturity of some of the people in this church. And what was happening, it was leading to immorality and it was leading to division in the church. So Paul, out of his great desire to care for them, out of his great desire to see them unified and to step fully into God's calling for them as individually and collectively as a body of believers, he pens the words that we read this morning. Beginning in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul is very clear with the Corinthian church from the very beginning of his letter that the foundation on which they need to stand on, to build on, to establish their life on is the reality of Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 and 2, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the foundation on which he laid. And what he communicates in verse 10 is that someone else is now building upon that foundation. The, the individual who he's speaking of is that of Apollos. See, after Paul left to continue his missionary journey, Apollos would eventually spend time leading and teaching in the Corinthian church. But one of the aspects of the immaturity in the Corinthian church was that the members were beginning to be more focused on what Christian leader they're following than the realities of following after Christ. You know, some would say, well, I follow Apollos. And then other people in the church, well, we follow Paul. Remember him? He started this thing. Let's follow him. And what Paul is saying is, listen, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's about the reality of the fact of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he even tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he continues on in verse 10. It says, let each one then take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, through my prep of, of looking at this text, the, the phrase that I think the Holy Spirit continued just to draw to my attention was that of the very beginning. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, some have tried to restrict this text uh, specifically in the application of this passage to the work of teachers. But many scholars believe it is capable of, of a more general application for the church. 
And that while it might be especially true for teachers, for those who might stand on a platform like this and, and exegete and to communicate about the realities of God, yes, it is very important that, that I would be careful on how I do this. The reality is that it is a reality and truth that all believers need to be aware of. See, the, the point here is that it applies to anyone who contributes in any way to the building up of the church. And remember, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about this space. I love this space. I enjoy that we gather to the space. I love the fun things that we have. I love the times of worship. But the reality is this space is nothing until you as believers in Jesus gather together and form and become the church. And every single one of us, we, we represent beauty and characteristics of what the church should be about. And so when we come together, we are meant to be established on this foundation of Jesus and then beginning to build something beautiful and intentional together to bring glory to God. So what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is that, you know, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, those of you who have that foundation of Christ, are you taking care to build on that foundation? It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, he categorizes people into three different categories. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 3, verse 1. The first type of person he calls the, the natural person. Someone who, those without Christ, they're still living in the lost condition in which they were born. These are individuals outside of, a, of a, belief, a belief in Christ Jesus. These are those who have yet to respond to his death on the cross. And then he calls a second type of person. He calls it the spiritual person. Believers in Christ who have been born of the spirit and in whom the spirit of God lives and is what? Producing growth. So these are individuals who have said yes to Jesus, have that firm foundation, but then they're also allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to build and, and strengthen and grow them up to becoming more and more the person that God has called them to be. But there's a third person. In fact, this third person is how he would describe much of the church in Corinth. He calls him the carnal person. Believers who remain immature in the faith because they don't allow the spirit to work in their lives. Now, the carnal person has the foundation of Jesus, has put faith in Jesus, has received salvation, their eternity is secure, but they have not yet stepped into taking care to allow the spirit of God to develop something beautiful in their life, to develop the characteristics of Jesus. And we ourselves those who say yes to the person of Jesus, we should be growing into a spiritual person. Taking care to build on the foundation of Jesus. And as we build, our in-Christness should lead to our Christ-likeness. The reality that we are in Christ Jesus should then lead us to the characteristics to live out a Christ-likeness in the world. I love this from Dallas Willard. He says that if we do not make formation in Christ the priority, then we're going to just keep on producing Christians who are indistinguishable in their character from many non-Christians. See, in Corinth, the, the carnal believer was indistinguishable in their character to the natural person, to the person who does not know Jesus. The Corinthian church was, was young and they failed to protect itself from the decadent culture of the city. 
So Paul was, was challenging the spiritually immature believers in Corinth to take care on how they were building, on the foundation of Christ in which he laid, in order that they might be able to build a life that would last, to build a life that would exemplify and speak of the beauty and the reality of Jesus. And again, as I, as I read this text this week, I realize that this is a word for us today. This is something that we have to understand. I mean, as we're stepping into a new year, what a great time to be reminded and to ask ourselves the question, what type of life am I building? What type of reality is setting into who I am becoming? And so if we have this desire to be a spiritual person, this desire to want to build into this life that God has called us to, what might we need to do? And there's a lot of different things that we could spend the next 15, 20 minutes talking about. But I was drawn to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15. He says, the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. The person with the spirit makes judgment about all things. See, one of the ways that Paul sees the church in Corinth maturing, and I think one of the ways that he might speak to us even today, is through the need to apply spiritual discernment to the world around us. We need to judge with wisdom all the things that come our way, scrutinizing, examining, and investigating spiritual value and implications. That is why I would say to us this weekend that the way forward is wisdom. The church needs to be a wise church. The church needs to be those who are practicing spiritual discernment. That when we are taking in information, taking in content, when we see things that are taking place, that we would not just react, but we would first step back and use spiritual discernment to say, God, what might this say to me? What might I need to grab hold of as truth? What might I need to release of as being false? Paul of the church in Ephesus says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And we too need to be very careful because we find ourselves living in, in a time where culture has dethroned God's truth. And each person is encouraged to live their own truth, whatever it might be. And I think that those of us who have claimed to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ need to practice spiritual discernment. And we need to have wisdom in, I think, a number of areas, but I think these ones might be key for us today. Who are you listening to? Who and what are you reading? And what is their motivation? I mean, if we were to pull out all of our iPhones or your Android or whatever you might have, and we were to look at maybe the podcast section, who are you listening to? Who is speaking into your life? And have you ever asked yourself the question, what might be their motivation? What are they trying to get out of me? Or really the question is, what are they trying to do in me? What is it the way they want me to think about the world? What is it they're trying to communicate to me? What is their vision for a flourishing life? Uh, wh what are you watching? How are you spending your time? What are you thinking about? Who have you surrounded yourself with? 
See, all of these things, who we're listening to, who we're reading, what we're taking in, all of these end up becoming the materials used to build you into the person that you will become. So if you want to get an idea as the person you are going to become, what's building into you? What are you taking in? Are you using godly wisdom and spiritual discernment when determining the materials that are being used to build the foundation of your life? Or really to build on the foundation? Because I think there's many of us in this room who would say, yes, the foundation of my life is Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful and that is so important. But what is now being built on that foundation? Paul says we should use things like gold, silver, precious stones. These are materials that were used in the construction of Solomon's temple. In contrast to things like wood and hay and straw, which would not last. And you might be asking yourself the question, like, is this really that big of a deal? I mean, what I watch, what I listen to, all these things I take in, do I really need to scrutinize these things? Do I really need to examine these things? Yes. Because see, spiritual formation and who you are becoming is both intentional and it is unintentional. And what I mean by that is you are always being formed into the person that you are becoming. It's not just when you come to church that your spiritual life is being formed. You are being formed all the time, whether you are aware of it or whether you're not. And so if we're spending all of our time taking in whatever it is that might be out there and we're not taking the time to be formed using materials that God has offered us to form us into the image of his son, we're missing out on fully experiencing the life that he's called us to. Yes, you may have said yes to Jesus a long while ago. You might have that as your firm foundation, but when you look at your life and the architecture of the walls being built that represent who you are becoming, is it what you imagined? I mean, if we were to sit back a little bit and, and really examine our life, we might say, yes, at one point there was a biblical worldview as the foundation of my life, but is that the case now? I love this from John Tyson, who's a, a pastor and author in New York City. He says, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to build a non-Christian worldview. That's not how it works. It's the little things like TikTok, five seconds at a time that become little memes in your mind and little worms in your ears. You can't get rid of. Before you know it, that stuff gets into your heart. It's rarely the big things, rather thousands of micro moments of formation that slowly pull you away from being able to pay attention and think biblical thoughts about the world. Your foundation may be Christ, but the life architecture is of the world. I mean, can I just ask you the question? It's, it's rather simple, but I think it's a little bit difficult to own up to, is how often are you spending time in the Word of God? I mean, the, the Center for Biblical Engagement surveyed more than 400,000 people and found that if you're not reading your Bible at least four times a week or more, then you won't make significant changes or choices any different than someone who does not read the Bible. That's a, a humbling thing to realize. And the reason why we're not reading our, our Bibles four or more times a week is because we're focused elsewhere. And I don't wanna spend too much time here, but just think about your life over the past two years. Where has your focus been? 
And if you want to know where your focus has been, a great way of, of deciphering that is, is really ask this question to those around you who know you most. What is my life known for? Ask your coworkers, what am I about? When you think about my life, what comes to your mind? Because see, your, your foundation might be Jesus, but what you're known for is your politics. Your foundation might be Jesus, yes. But when people think about the life architecture that you are building, they might say, you know what, when I think about you, I think about someone who is just deeply passionate about his politics or her politics. Tim Keller says in virtually every church, there is a smaller or larger body of Christians who have been radicalized by the left or to the right by extremely effective and completely immersive internet and social media loops, news feeds and communities. People are bombarded 12 hours a day with pieces that present a particular political point of view. And the main way it seeks to persuade is not through argument, but through outrage. People are being formed by this immersive form of public discourse, far more than they are being formed by the church. And this is creating a crisis. Some of us these past two years, we've become more focused on forming our political ideology and dismantling the other than forming our biblical theology and then dismantling spiritual strongholds. The church has such this gift to offer the world where men and women would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then would step into the culture and begin to identify and help to break through the power of the Holy Spirit strongholds. But we're too busy focused elsewhere. See, sometimes you have to ask yourself the question, I need to spend more time doing the things that only I can do. And the church has some very specific things that God can only do through his church. And he's waiting for us to wake up and say, I would prefer to spend more time building into a life architecture that displays the reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus than anything else. I mean, that is just something that has to transpire in our hearts. Which is why the way forward has to be that of wisdom, of spiritual discernment. The reality is you're not going to get away from using your phone or using the internet. I mean, I guess you could. We could all be kind of a new generation of desert mothers and fathers and we could go off to some place and, and do our thing. But I do believe that God has a, a different call for us in today's church. So we need to take care to build on the foundation of Christ with wisdom in order to be able to distinguish what it is that our life must be about. We need wisdom so that we can distinguish what is true and what is falsehood. How many in you have heard of the, the term a troll farm? Okay, not many people in our church, duly noted. Let me tell you what it is. A troll farm is an organization whose employees or members attempt to create conflict and disruption in an online community by posting deliberately inflammatory or provocative comments. So their whole job, so to speak, is to go on to all the different pages that many of us probably participate on and just write stuff that will make you mad. They may not even believe what they're saying, but their heart posture is, I'm going to get these people angry at me, angry with one another, and just sit back and watch the whole thing burn. 
It does sound like Satan, as someone said over here. Now get this. Here's an article that I found. Let's throw that up here. In 2019, almost all of, Christ, uh, all of Facebook's top Christian pages were run by foreign troll farms. In 2019, 19 of Facebook's top 20 pages for American Christians were run by Eastern European troll farms overseas. Internal documents leaked to MIT Technology Review revealed. The data shows that the vast spread of Facebook misinformation is largely powered by coordinated efforts among foreign professionals working together to spread provocative content in the U.S. Jeff Allen, who is a former senior-level data executive at Facebook, or data scientist, he says this, that this is not normal, and this is not healthy. We have empowered inauthentic actors to accumulate huge followings for largely unknown purposes. Tyler Huckabee, who wrote the article, he says, it's difficult to calculate the amount of influence such Facebook pages are exercising over American Christianity. But it certainly seems like it would be having some sort of impact. Christian pastors have congregations in their pews at best one morning a week. Here we all are. Facebook is in their pocket all day long, shaping their theology for its own ends. And of course, there's no telling how many Christian pastors themselves are engaging with bad faith Christian content from troll farms as well. It's tough to know how widespread the problem they document remains now, two years after the report, but given the lack of serious public attempts to quell such behavior, it's safe to assume that it persists on a level, at least some level. Take care how you build. Use discernment. Use wisdom. The next time your uncle or your friend or your grandfather, your aunt, your uncle sends you the email with the title in the email that just makes you so desperately want to click it, take one step back and say, Lord, give me spiritual discernment and wisdom as I engage in whatever this is. And, and might we be smart enough to at times, see, can I just be honest with you? You know what the problem, at least one of the problems is with the church right now, is we don't want to put in the work. We don't want to read something on the internet or read something that something is sent and actually sit back and say, now wait a second, what is this? If I filter this through a biblical worldview, if I filter this through the word of God, might I think differently? Many of us, we love the emotions that we feel because of something because it aligns with how we already feel and then we just base our decisions off of that. That's not how we're called to be as Christians though. Emotions are a gift, absolutely, but we are also called to take our emotions and then submit them to the Father to say, Father, what might you say to me in this moment? So back to our text, Paul continues on in verse 14. He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We all must understand and realize that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you receive the free gift of salvation, you are justified by faith. We know this because of Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we will not face condemnation if the foundation of Christ is there. If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have received the free gift of salvation, you will not face condemnation. However, God will still judge our works and reward accordingly. I mean, just think about our series verse. 
What did Paul say? I press on towards the goal to do what? To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But we don't only take care to build with wisdom for a reward. We need to take care to build with wisdom because we are the temple of the Lord. He tells us in verse 16, do, not, or do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The Apostle Paul uses this kind of temple language a bit in his New Testament letters describing the church. That those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we've received the free gift of salvation. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So individually, we have the, the Spirit of God with us, but then there's also this incredible reality that we come together in an environment like this and we, we gather as God's, as God's presence is dwelling in us together. It's this beautiful reality. Look at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Now, I think to really understand the reality of the, the heart of what the apostle Paul is trying to speak here is we have to understand a little bit about what exactly is the temple? The Jewish temple wasn't the only temple. There's temples in, in many nations over the world. There's still temples today. And temples, what really, they operate as models of the universe. They serve as, as a map of reality. What the Jerusalem temple tried to do was it was a model as to show how the world should work. Uh, Mark Sayers, who's an author, pastor, and he's known for cultural commentary, he says that the commonality between Israel's temple and all of the temples of the nations around them was that the temples were what in technical terms are called microcosms. And microcosms mean mini-universe. They were models of how life should work. They were diagrams of systems set in stone. A microcosm is a community regarded as encapsulating in miniature the characteristics or qualities or features of something bigger. So if you, if you think about that, the, these temples were models for how the, the world ought to work. Take that and then picture the fact that he then says, you are the temple. And when you come together, God is building this beautiful thing. And what he is trying to get us to realize and to understand is that our lives together as the church is displaying to the world how life ought to be. Get that in your heart for a second. The way that you operate your life, the way that you live, the person you're becoming, the architecture of your life in which you're building on the foundation of Jesus or another foundation. But if you're building on the foundation of Jesus, as you enter into the places that you reside and the places where you live and the places where you work, you are walking in as a signpost to God's vision for a flourishing life. 
And see, understanding that and having the attributes of Jesus and growing into this is so deeply important. It's been important for the church since the beginning of the church. I've been doing a lot of research recently and just reading on the early church. And uh, Alan Kreider says this, in the first, uh, first two centuries of the church, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. And outsiders found Christians attractive because of their Christian habits, i.e. formation, which catechesis and worship had formed. So what he's saying here is that it wasn't the reality that people came together to worship that attracted non-believers to Christians. It was the coming together that God used to help form them and to create opportunities for the Holy Spirit to do something in them. And then as they scattered out the attributes that were being developed, the people who they were becoming, people said, wait a second, I like that. I like this joy they walk in, this love that they have for one another, this peace that they carry with them. Aristides, an Anthean philosopher who lived in the second century, he listed a number of attributes that distinguished Christians from the rest of the population. He noted that they modeled fidelity, truthfulness, contentment, respect for parents, love for neighbor, purity, patience in the face of persecution, kindness to strangers. They cared for widows and orphans and such behavior brought prosperity to the world. He actually went as far as saying this statement and see because of them good flows on in the world. Might that be said about us? Might the foundation and the architecture of our lives that we are building through the power of the Holy Spirit, might it lead to a moment to where even those who don't profess faith in Christ would say, you know what? I don't believe what they believe, but guess what? Good is coming into the world because they're here. Or you can take it out even further. Maybe your unbelieving boss might say, you know what? I don't believe what you believe, but good is coming into my company because you're here. You're changing the culture of this place because when you were passed up for what you thought might have been next for you and I went with someone else, you responded to me with grace and love and kindness and you just accepted it. And what's crazy is that it's usually in those moments where God flips everything and then something even better ends up happening for you because the way that you are is counter to the expectation. Let's just be honest, friends. We don't expect much of one another anymore. In fact, we oftentimes probably expect the worst from one another, which should mean that this is a culture that is just ripe for believers in Jesus because we ought to be doing things exactly different than what the expectation might be. This person should hate what I'm doing or hate the the consequences of these things, and they, but they still come at me and they have this affectionate heart towards me. I wronged them, yet they still somehow are having grace for me. And I think God in those moments does something unique in the soul for that person to where they really start having these existential questions that we inevitably will have the answers for. And I think that is just the beauty of the opportunity ahead of us take care of how we build by doing so with wisdom and spiritual discernment. And so God, we, 
we sit and we come before you in this moment. And Lord, I do believe that uh, there probably are some in this room right now where they're thinking about the foundation of Jesus in which they, they laid years and years ago. But when they're thinking about the, the walls of the life that they've built, the architecture that they have built, they're realizing that it was made for another foundation, not one that is on Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that even in the midst of that sorrow one might feel, thank you for the opportunity for, for examination and confession and repentance and also just a receiving of new mercies. And Lord, for the individual who might be in here right now and they have never had that moment where they in the depths of their being have said, you know what, I, I sense there's something greater taking place. I'm learning and realizing about this, this one that this group of people is calling Jesus. And I'm realizing that I too need a savior. And for that person who may be watching online right now or maybe in this room, you just need to know we have all fallen short of the glory of God. You are not alone in that. But he loves us enough to send his son to die on the cross, to pay a penalty for sin, so that those who would put faith in him receive the free gift of salvation would have everlasting life. And so might there be one in this room today who would say, yes, I wanna receive that. I wanna break up the old foundation and I wanna, I wanna have a new one poured today. And maybe Lord, those right now who maybe at times have really struggled with the church. Maybe there's been times where they've They've been a little bit critical towards the church and they've stepped back and they said, I, I don't like what's going on here. I don't like what's going on here. Lord, I pray for that person who is struggling right now that they would not leave the church in order to see change happen in the church, but they would be part of this new beautiful reality I think that you're calling us into. A church that purely is walking in and desiring what God would have for it. And so, Lord, we thank you and we love you and we worship you today. Amen. Friends, before we go today, it's good in these moments to be able just to sit and to ponder. It's so like us in our culture to have moments like this and then it's like, all right, well, I'm out. First of Mama Stortini's wins or wherever you like to go. But let's not do that today. The worship team is going to lead us in this beautiful song. And, and let's just, whether you want to sit, whether you want to stand, whether you want to kneel, I don't care what you do, but let's sit in this moment. And what might God still want to be saying to you? So let's just begin to worship together, however you see fit to do so.